0: Happy Friday, everybody. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. Join us on the line at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. We're guarding the phones, ready for you to call and talk to us today. We want to hear from you about all the things that have happened this week in the Auburn News Universe, SEC and beyond anything that's going on in the sports world we want to hear from you Auburn yesterday officially announced a slew of hires after we got off the air about 5 p.m. we started seeing them come in or really about 6 p.m. we started seeing them come in I had plopped down on my couch ready for the evening to commence and then bam press release into my email inbox about Derek Mason and then not long after that Will Friend or vice versa I can't remember which order those came in but they were back to back within 30 minutes of each other Auburn announcing both of those hires in addition to Mike Bobo as well as offensive coordinator and we talked in depth about all three of these yesterday and if you happen to miss that show you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and iHeartRadio so we've got you covered about what we thought about in terms of the philosophy behind hiring these specific coaches. And what we mean by philosophy is are they a recruiter primarily? Are they a developer slash schemer like a Derek Mason? You know, what was the ideology behind hiring this specific coach? We've addressed that. We're gonna go in a different direction with it today and now start addressing schemes how these guys are actually going to, going to affect the X's and O's at Auburn because I think both sides of the ball are about to change for the Tigers and it's going to change for the better. Tight ends, question mark, maybe. We'll get into that in this segment. And then also, what coach or which coach is going to make the most impact? And so, Levi, welcoming you into the show now, um, I'm going to open up the floor to you. Which coach of that three, whether it's Bobo, Derek Mason, or... Will Friend, which coach do you think is going to make the most impact on this program?
1: Honestly, I think that Derek Mason probably is going to make the most impact just from an X's and O standpoint, since that's what we're primarily focusing on right now. He's going to run more or less the 3-4 scheme with the two-gap system. I mean, that's kind of what he's usually known for. He's a really good linebacker developer. Explain to people what that means, what you just said. That 3-4 scheme where you have the three-down linemen for... Back, if I'm not mistaken again defense is not my strong suit I do know a lot about the game but defense has never really been my strong suit he's going to really have a lot of linebackers because that's what he's always gotten the most out of even at Vanderbilt when he didn't have the talent he always got a lot out of those linebackers I think you hit on that yesterday
0: and in comparison to what that 3-4 means versus what Auburn has done now I think what Auburn has done now, or what I know Auburn has done now, Auburn has always incorporated a buck underneath their defensive philosophy in the entire Gus Malzahn tenure. Every single defensive coordinator that's been at Auburn has incorporated the buck at defensive end, and primarily just all they did was pass rush. That's it. All they did was get after it and get into the backfield. But I think that's about to change. Auburn's really about to truly become a 3-4 defense and that what we've seen as the buck is going to truly be an outside linebacker instead of a fourth defensive lineman. I think truly that is about to become a linebacker, which is a good thing, I think, for Auburn to be able to adjust to some of the offenses in college football that we've talked about, and primarily the emergence of the tight end position in modern-day college football as pass catchers. This is going to allow Auburn, as far as zone coverage drops, to be able to clog up the middle of the field and possibly put another guy on the field that can handle a tight end a little bit better than
1: what they've done in the past. And you also have to think again, this is purely uh, off of sources that have told ESPN. You have the former Boise State defensive coordinator who has been under Brian Harson for the past two years, is also rumored to be joining the staff to coach those linebackers. So you might have a guy who has defensive coordinator experience. Coaching up those linebackers with Derek Mason, maybe a potential co-defensive coordinator role. I I really think that we're going to get a lot out of these linebackers the next few years under Derek Mason. I think from the X's and O standpoint, Derek Mason is the the I don't want to say better hire because we we both know we both like both hires. We both think that they're good hires. I think purely from the X's and O standpoint that Derek Mason will benefit the defense more. Mike Bobo seems more of a recruiting hire than anything. Even though we talked about it yesterday, the emergence of the tight end, it really goes into what Mike Bobo wants to do. He wants to run more of that pro-style offense. He's going to hit those tight ends that, honestly, Auburn has not had in, since Uzama, and even then barely used Uzama in that Gus Malzahn offense, primarily a blocker. You I, know, I was playing Madden last night, and <laughs> I, saw, I
0: was scouting college players. This is funny. I was scouting college players, and they had – an Auburn guy slated as a second round pick and I said this isn't realistic Auburn's not having a second round pick at tight end but really in the future I'm not going to say that Auburn's going to have a second round pick at tight end in the next three years but I definitely believe that there are guys in the current system right now or on the current roster right now that can really develop into possibly somebody that could make it to the next level nothing against CJ Uzama but if he was able to do it, I think there are other guys on this roster that have that base talent that hasn't been developed yet. They have the potential to develop into a tight end that maybe could find their way into the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're going to get a lot of these guys in in the door just off of recruiting anyway. You're going to get a lot of talented guys and Auburn has a lot of talent on this roster to begin with. I think that they could really develop a tight end and really Start pushing the envelope on what they're doing with this offense and really change it, make it relatively tight end focused, make it a little bit more play action focused, and really have that kind of pro style, West Coast style that we've that we keep mentioning, we keep harping harping on. But I really think that that's what's going to be implemented. I think that there is potential for a tight end to from Auburn. What like why can't Auburn? recruit a tight end with the talent the base talent why can't and
0: auburn be great at tight ends there's no T- reason. tell me why not there's why
1: can't i can tell you why they haven't been good at tight ends. right i can definitely tell you that there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to pump tight end talent in the nfl okay slow
0: down on pump now that may not sound p-
1: like consistently not pump, but produce we could put some in the nfl you
0: heard it here first on on the line levi <laughs> fitzwater auburn will become tight end you of college football i i I don't think it'll get to that point, but I definitely think if we're talking about impact here, and it depends on how you view impact. Your your point is that Derek Mason's gonna make the greatest impact on this program. The defense has been fine. This year, obviously not, but in previous years under Kevin Steele, the defense has been just fine. I think the way I'm viewing impact right now, and where we're gonna see the biggest change, is going to be on the offensive side of the football with the system changing. I mean, we've been talking all week about tight ends are going to be throwing the football. There's going to be a more of a West Coast style passing system being put into place. I'm not saying completely a stray away from the spread, but I definitely think this is a reversion from where college football has headed as far as spread offenses are concerned. And you just went and hired the guy that is known in the Southeast right now, or is one of the guys that is well known in the Southeast. For that specific style of offense, they didn't just go and hire one hot name off the market right now. They stayed away from that. This isn't a flashy hire. I think people are reacting to this hire. And Justin Ferguson said this on the show yesterday, and you should definitely go and check that out on our podcast. He said people are reacting to this just like people reacted to Kevin Steele when he was hired. And it's like, yeah, the guy's got the experience, he's got the track record, he's got the recruiting prowess, but recently what have you done for me lately and the what have you done for me lately for Mike Bobo goes all the way back to 2014 when the last time I think you can truly say there was real consistent success for him because if this hire is made in 2015 I think people are happy about it this hire is being made now in 2021 which is Many years removed after a failed head coaching attempt at Colorado State and now one really bad year at South Carolina, which I don't think you can fault him for. But I like the hire. People have to look past that and remember back to the last time that he was legitimately an offensive coordinator at a team that had some talent on the offensive side of the ball and a quarterback that he could develop. Look at the track record at Georgia. He developed some quarterbacks. Aaron Murray was a guy you pointed out. He was there for Matthew Stafford. I mean, he had some guys come out of Georgia that, I mean, Georgia had a good quarterback every year, it seemed. And so I think this is a good thing for Auburn as far as impact is concerned and seeing Auburn shift away from one style of play to another. I think we're going to see the most drastic change on the offensive side of the ball not necessarily saying that statistically because I don't know if right away next year you're going to see a major point jump for Auburn. Of course, Auburn was – I don't have the exact points per game numbers for Auburn this year, but of course, Auburn was you know in that mid-20s range, and I know you're going to look that up for me. Um, in that mid-20s range, as far as points per game are concerned, I don't know if you're going to see this team jump up to 35 points a game or anything, but I definitely think you're going to see more of an identity on the offensive side of the ball which is encouraging and I think something that is sorely needed. And then not to mention, I'll just say 1B here with Will Friend. He's got a former coaching mate of his. Now, of course, this previous year he wasn't with him, or the past three years he hasn't been with him because he was at Tennessee. But what you're getting in Will Friend is a guy who recruited that offensive line at Tennessee. And I I don't know if you can fault a lot of what happened at Tennessee on Will Friend. Of course, the offensive line that he recruited was underwhelming, so people fairly so, have concerns about his ability to develop offensive linemen. But I think Auburn should still be encouraged by his ability to recruit offensive linemen and then also look at the track record of offensive linemen that he has placed into the NFL. So he has his fair share of guys that have moved on to the league and he can recruit. That should be encouraging for Auburn where they haven't been able to develop or recruit. At least now they can recruit, right? This seems like a step in the right direction for an offensive line that couldn't do
1: anything right. They're at least acknowledging that the line has been a massive problem. And they
0: have to get players in. If you look at the, the roster and the depth chart, it's skimpy. Auburn has not gotten a legitimate tackle as a freshman in several years. The offensive line recruiting has been a major issue for this program. So even the 1B side of this, I'm going to include this underneath Bobo as making a big impact because this is his guy too that he obviously brought with him. This had to be some type of, I would not say, package deal. It wouldn't be a situation where like, you got to bring my guy or else I'm not coming. But I definitely think he probably pushed to say, hey, this is a guy that you want to bring with me because he's been with him at several stops, including Georgia and Colorado State. So they're familiar. They work well together. I think you're going to see the most drastic change, maybe not see a statistical jump right away, but the most drastic change on the offensive side of the ball because it's different from what Auburn and what Auburn fans have been
1: accustomed to seeing and how they're lining up and what they're doing scheme-wise on the offensive side of the ball. And that's fair. And that's fair to say that it's going to be the most drastic on the offensive side of the ball. You're not
0: wrong either, though. Next year, statistically, what you could see have the, the biggest jump is on defense. Because I think for Auburn, what really could help them out this year maybe was some scheme decisions. But also, I think we're going to have to see an, uh, a two- or three-year recruiting cycle window here for Auburn, especially at linebacker, to make this transition For Auburn into a 3-4 defense if that is indeed the direction that Auburn goes on that side of the football and we've seen several teams in this league flip from four-man fronts to three-man fronts but you have to go and bulk up your recruiting at linebacker not only to sustain death a position because there's a big difference between having three linebackers on the field where Auburn has not been putting three linebackers they've been putting two on the field they really did not move from Papo and McLean a whole lot this year they really didn't sub a whole lot at linebacker. Now you're going to see four guys on the field, sometimes just three. I don't think you're going to see Auburn in the nickel as much as they have been with just two, but you're going to see more linebackers on the field more often, and I think that's going to also require more substitution, so the room's going to have to get a little bit deeper because right now I feel like, and all we saw this year was Papo and McLean, and people had their complaints about the position, but at least McLean's coming back to lead a young group that you still have Steiner on the bench that we really didn't see a whole lot of this year don't know why I mean there are other guys on this team but development's going to be key for them and then also they're going to have to recruit and so you you could be right about numbers wise Derek Mason you could see the biggest jump going into next year but I still think it's going to take two or three years to get two or three years of recruiting cycles to be able to see that perfect transition to what that defense really can
1: become. And if we're both right, that's really good for Auburn. Right. If you see drastic changes on both sides, that's really good. Also, Auburn did uh, average 25.09 points per game this year, just to clarify that. And a lot of that was juiced up by that LSU game.
0: That it was. It was juiced up by that LSU game. So really the averages you know are a little bit lower than that. But we've got more of On the Line coming up next. Auburn basketball taking on Alabama tomorrow morning.
2: You are on the line. With Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
0: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join into the show, call in at 334 321 1390 or 888 382 7502. Tell us who you think of the three new additions to Auburn staff mike bobo Derek mason and will friend which one of those coaches do you think will make the most impact at auburn and we'll revisit this discussion from a schematic perspective later on in the show but let's move into some auburn basketball talk as the six and five auburn tigers in danger i feel like this is the first time i can say this in a long time substantially through the season it seems like so long ago were the days of Tony Barbie and Auburn being a below 500 team in basketball, but Auburn is in danger tomorrow with a loss of dropping to 6 and 6 overall and 0 and 4 in the SEC. And it doesn't come as a surprise when you know about all that's Auburn missing, that all that Auburn is missing. And so there are a lot of fans who just aren't reading into it a whole lot this year. They understand if there's going to be any coach on this campus that's going to get a pass it's going to be Bruce Pearl and rightfully so when you talk about what he's been able to do here so far and what he's been able to do in the community so nobody I don't think I don't think anybody is impatient right now and we've asked this question to several people up to this point if it's time or if it's too early to panic about Auburn this year and I think the answer to that is no you shouldn't panic about Auburn at any point this year because really what is the end goal what are they playing for or I'll amend that I think it would be time to panic if this team never puts it together this year that would not be encouraging for next season but that also my response to that also hinges on did they get a point guard back by the name of Sharif Cooper but tomorrow taking on Alabama I believe that's 11 a.m tip what is the path to victory against Alabama tomorrow for Auburn to avoid and and this game at home what is the path to victory for Auburn to avoid an 0-4 start because they desperately needed to beat Ole Miss and it's not looking good against a team that's really playing like the best team in the Southeastern Conference
1: at the moment. I'm not too hopeful with Auburn's chances. We talked about this over the break. After looking at at it from a statistical standpoint, these two teams are a lot more even than you think in terms of just pure stats. The issue is those stats are encompassing of the entire season. You really want to look at what's happened the past few weeks, one of which is the past few games, Alabama's on a roll. Winners of four straight, if I'm not mistaken, beating Florida, Ole Miss, who just handled Auburn, and a win at Tennessee. Auburn going in the opposite direction, losing three straight, hasn't gotten a conference victory yet. Alabama hasn't lost a conference game yet. So both teams are going in two completely different directions. All the momentum's in Alabama's favor. Auburn, no point guard, has had massive turnover issues because of the lack of point guard. So really... It seems like this should be an open and shut case. Alabama comes in to Auburn, wins handily, and leaves 4-0 in conference, and Auburn drops 0-4 in conference. The issue with that is there's something that hasn't been accounted for for this Auburn team, especially when I was talking about them going into Ole Miss the other night. This team has no quit in them. Even when everything is against them, they have always shown up and, and came out and played their hardest. a and down by double digits going into half. They came out in the second half, and they really put it together, and they really made that game close, come down to one shot. Ole Miss, they were trailing by eight with about four minutes left in that matchup in Oxford. So you really can't count this team out, and that's one of those things that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Now, if this was a you know in a year without coronavirus, if this was a year where Auburn and the jungle would be packed out, I think Auburn would have a really good chance of pulling off this upset. But honestly, with no fans there, no real crowd behind them, it's going to be tough. But I want to say don't write them out. This team does not quit. They're pretty comparable on paper. I think Auburn can do it. They just have to limit those turnovers and get some production out of the point guard position, whether or not a point guard is playing it.
0: Well, a big difference between these teams is the experience. Alabama has experience on the roster, whereas Auburn does not. And in moments like these where you begin to feel the season slip a little bit, you start to think, well, where's the leader to, to stem this tide? Where's the leader to rally the troops and to end this losing streak? And right now, I don't think Auburn has discovered that yet. Alabama, on the other hand, is beginning to play their best. They are playing their best basketball of the season. And you wonder how much better it can get, or if they're peaking too early. Those are We won't find out the answer to that until the end of the season, if they've peaked too early or not. But I imagine the trajectory for this Alabama team will continue to increase. I think this team, you could see Sweet 16 aspirations. I think you can see Sweet 16 aspirations on the horizon for this Alabama team, depending on where they get seated in the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to say right off the bat right now that they'll make the Sweet 16 because if Alabama ends up being an 8 seed, well, I don't know if they beat a 1 seed in the second round, but I definitely see this team, if they were a if they were a 6 or maybe even found a way to get up to the 5 line, I could definitely see this team being good enough to win a round 2 game or a round of 32 game in the NCAA tournament and make it to the Sweet 16 just because of their ability to shoot the basketball and they're beginning to do it with consistency and they're also playing... Really good defense right now. According to Ken Palm's rankings here, Alabama's ranked 24th in the country in overall adjusted efficiency margin. But on offense and defense, on offense they're the 24th best team in the country. On defense, the 39th best team in the country. And they're doing it at a up-tempo style of play in the top 30 in the country in possessions per 40 minutes. So this Alabama team's playing fast, and they've got the efficiency on both sides of the basketball to go along with it and for Auburn right now the big thing that we've talked about and we've harped on that's going to play a factor into this game and how I'm going to answer this question Auburn's only path to victory to this game is if they find a way to win the turnover battle there is no other way this is it no other way Auburn has to win the turnover battle against Alabama if they are going to have any chance of being in this game late because Alabama right now is scoring the basketball At a torrid pace, 77.5 points per game may not look overly impressive, but you look at their last four games, 86 against Florida, 71 against Tennessee, which is impressive considering who they were playing and where they were playing at. They were in Thompson Bowling Arena at Tennessee. They scored 82 on Ole Miss, who we pointed out is the 17th best team in the country as far as adjusted defensive efficiency margin is concerned. Then they scored 85 against East Tennessee State. Since their loss against Western Kentucky on December 19th, this team is playing the best basketball in the Southeastern Conference. You cannot turn the basketball over and expect to win this game. You can't turn the basketball over and expect to win many games in college basketball, but you certainly can't do it against a team that's every bit as talented as you are. Probably they're more talented than Auburn because they've developed the talent up to this point. They're more experienced. It's the same situation that Auburn went in into the Arkansas game. Now, I believe Auburn's incrementally gotten worse since the Auburn or since the Arkansas game that is Auburn I felt like went toe-to-toe with Arkansas for 16 minutes of that second half they were in it and then the last four minutes they gave it away I mean they were down by only as much as five I believe with about two and a half three minutes left to go and then Arkansas separated why because there was a stretch of turnovers and Arkansas got on a run and put them away Arkansas was every bit as talented auburn was every bit as talented as arkansas but they just didn't have that experience so this is where auburn's going to have to find a way to protect the basketball and and that's the big mismatch between these two teams auburn is turning over the basketball as much as anybody in this country they are in according to sportsreference.com which is where you can find all these in-depth statistics and whatnot they are as far as turnovers that they turn the ball over the 34th most in this country at 16.8 per game whereas alabama is towards the bottom portion of the country, 220th in the country, with only 13 turnovers per game. And I, and I, I hate that, that is how that is phrased. It should be backwards. Alabama's one of the best teams at not turning the basketball over. Auburn is one of the worst teams in the country at not turning the basketball over. And so that three turnover differential and just the averages alone is a big gap when you're talking about how these two teams play ball. And Alabama's good on defense. At poking the ball free, they're averaging almost eight steals a game, just like Ole Miss was. Bad matchup for Auburn as far as how they're playing right now on the offensive end without a rhythm, without an identity, without a point guard. And Alabama is probably foaming at the mouth at how they're going to get after it on the defensive end of the basketball. And then on top of that, this team has that same – shooting ability that Auburn had a couple of years ago matched with the right experience and the right chemistry to be able to spray it from all over the floor and get on a run that's why they're a top 25 team and efficiency on the offensive side of the basketball they're turning defense and offense and they're also not knocking down threes I don't believe Auburn will get blown out because as you've pointed out already and I've pointed out many times Auburn's a scrappy team and they just don't get blown out. They fight. There's not an ounce of quit in this team and it's at home and Auburn shoots the basketball so much better at home, especially from beyond the arc. So I think that's going to equalize a little bit, but there is absolutely no path to victory. If Auburn wants to win this basketball game, there is absolutely no path to victory. If they turn the basketball over more times than Alabama, or at least substantially more times than Alabama.
1: And that's the issue in itself. It's going to be hard for them to turn the ball over less than Alabama. That's go- that's the problem. That's why we're in this- that's why Auburn's in this position. Nobody is going to believe that they're going to go out there and turn the ball over less than this Alabama team. And then if you if you go out there, they're on a they're a buzzsaw right now, scoring 80 plus in their past four 80 plus three of their last four games. I mean, think about that. If you turn the ball over, you know, three or four more times than Alabama does, that's just adding to that. I mean, it's going to be hard for Auburn to come out and have any chance of winning this game. I think it'll be a little bit closer. I'm, I'm not going to say they're going to get blown out again, not at home, but I will say that they're, I don't think they're going to win this game. It's going to take a miracle of not turning the ball over that we haven't seen so far this year. Call in at
0: 334-321-1390 or 888-382-7502. What are your thoughts on Albert's path to victory against Alabama?
2: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Noah Gardner
0: and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. If you want to join in, call at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888 382 And we've got a caller now, Ed, from Auburn. Ed, how you doing today?
3: I'm doing great, guys. I, I, I want to just comment three things real quick, if I could. First off, I'm so glad that y'all are on at this hour and you know, so happy for the show and everything, and congratulations. And I'll be here listening and supporting uh and then on auburn uh two things uh first off, I'm very happy with the way the the coaching uh decisions are being made and you, you know uh it's not gonna be a good uh Harsin's not what you might call a sexy you know hire and he's he's not gonna make sexy you know Higher, so you know what I'm talking about. You know, big splashes. Right, you're going to be solid guys. You know, I'm very happy with everything I've seen. And uh, uh, one other thing, I just wanted y'all to discuss real quickly about the: uh, Have y'all discussed the fact or the, you know, the problem that uh, it has faced Auburn with Justin Powell being out during this? You know, the, the fact that when he went down, we started losing, and you know, it, 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 we really, really lack any kind of uh we were playing a balk on the other night you know at, at guard so uh i just wanted to see what y'all thought about when he might return and just you know how how big of a part I, I know at one time he was leading us in points rebounds and assists so i just want to get y'all's thoughts on that and worry well guys I, i'm gonna hang up and listen this time i'll i'll call back and talk when i've got a minute more but thank you so much for taking my call
0: sure thing yeah i appreciate you calling in and uh Thanks for joining us on today's episode of On the Line, and I couldn't agree more about what he said about the coaching decisions. I'm happy about them too. I'm thrilled. I, I know, like he said, they're not the sexy one. They're not the sexy ones, but I'm thrilled about it. And then on to the Justin Powell thing. I, I think the timetable's kind of, you know, up in the air with Justin Powell. Head injuries are, are are scary things to deal with, and some guys take longer to recover from those than others. And so, of course, the impact has has definitely been made known. About Justin Powell being gone because although he's not a true point guard, he was the last guy on the roster that could play that position. That was it. Like, he was the last guy on the roster that could play that position and at least move over from shooting guard and it not look like he was out of position. And now there's nobody. I mean, Jamal Johnson still looks like he's out of position. As much as he was recruited as a combo guard, he's not a combo guard. He is a true shoot it off he's not off the dribble either he is a true catch and shoot guy from the wing or from the corner and then Allen Flanagan I don't think is a true ball handler either I think he's a three if anything I know he's been played at shooting guard as well but it, it's definitely it, without Justin Powell right now there's no semblance of a rhythm on that offensive side of the ball which is a big reason why they only put up 61 points against Ole Miss so couldn't agree more about
1: missing out on Justin Powell of course without Justin Powell this team just to reiterate what you said, has no semblance of a point guard. Justin Powell's not even a point guard, but he's the only player who was left on this roster who could even remotely look like a point guard in this offense. Johnson, he is a true two, like you said. He is a catch and shoot two. He's going to let it fly anytime you give him space. He's he's J.R. Smith-ish if you are an NBA guy. He wants to catch and shoot that's his game and there's nothing wrong with that quick release guy too very quick release nothing wrong with that when you're able to play that position unfortunately because of the injuries and because of NCAA rulings he's had to go out of position a lot the same with Flanagan he's not a true ball handler that's not the position you want him in it's hard for certain guys to succeed when they're playing out of position imagine if you took I know a lot of people watch a lot more football than they watch basketball. You take a small guy, let's say from the past few years, like Will Hastings, and you put him as an X receiver and we're asking him to go one-on-one with the best cornerback, that's not going to happen. It's the same with basketball. You take a guy who is playing a three position, not asked to handle the ball that much, wants to kind of go down low, play a little bit outside with the shot, do a little mid-range, do a little bit of a drive, not really handle the ball and space it out that well, it's going to not look pretty, which it hasn't. And luckily, it seems that most Auburn fans, if not almost all of them, understand the situation and really aren't panicking too much because of all the extra circumstances that are surrounding this team right now. And I've
0: got an update for him about Justin Powell as well, like he asked about that timetable. Once again, that timetable is still up in the air, like that's not changing. But Uh, I follow Nathan King he joined the show earlier this week friend of the program at by Nathan King if you want to go follow his reporting he's with Auburn undercover found this 11 minutes ago or 12 minutes ago now Justin Powell head injury did not practice today for hashtag Auburn per Bruce Pearl and so and Bruce, Bruce Pearl with the media right now while we're on the air unfortunately so but getting that real time right there him not practicing today or yesterday meaning that probably not a good look for him to play tomorrow against Alabama and with head injuries timetables are so much so up in the air because you never know how certain guys going to react some guys recover relatively quickly it also depends on the severity of it how much are you out of things how is it affecting you because sometimes it affects you more than just a headache you know sometimes you know you're you, some guys are are not okay for for more than just a week some guys are not okay for you know several weeks to maybe even a month I mean concussion protocol if that indeed is you know what this is i mean like it takes some time for some guys to get through it and i, and I don't think we're going to see Justin Powell tomorrow which is another huge huge loss especially when you're talking about how alabama's going to get after auburn on the defensive side of the basketball tomorrow and ed's right i mean things changed for auburn as soon as he got hurt i mean he missed the final what 12 minutes of the second half against texas a&m and of course I felt like Auburn played their best half of basketball against AM in the second half. And Auburn has been this season traditionally a second half team. But you look at the effect of what that had against an even better defensive team and an even more talented team in Ole Miss than they were than than even so Texas AM, you look at what that happened. I mean 61, 61 points against Ole Miss, and that that's not gonna win you any college basketball game especially when you're Auburn and your defense isn't going to hold people to 61 points a game and nothing against Auburn's defense, but it's not that good. It's good, but it's not that good, you know, and Alan Flanagan had eight turnovers. The primary, primary guy that the offense is running through now that Justin Powell's off the floor, he's got eight turnovers. He had five assists, but eight turnovers. That's enough to, that, that's enough to really make an impact in the game. Auburn had 16 turnovers against Ole Miss. Half of them came from Alan Flanagan.
1: A lot of Flanagan's turnovers comes from playing a position that he's not used to, right. playing that point guard position. And that's not us general
0: hesitation too. A lot You're, of these guys are hesitating because they're not they're not used to it. This is not their normal yeah,
1: this is not, not their normal role. They're not comfortable. They're right. not comfortable with what they're doing sometimes. And again, that's we want to make sure that it's clear that we are not harping on Flanagan and making him feel like the eight turnovers is completely his fault. That's understandable. Just the truth. The it's, stats don't lie. That's what happened and there's a good logical you know, reasoning as to why that happened, yeah, you're playing out of position. Turnovers are going to happen. He's not a point guard. That's the issue with this team right now. And, man, Powell being out is going to be that's – a, that's a backbreaker for Auburn tomorrow because we were just talking about the previous segment. They've got to limit the turnovers. They're not going to have a point guard again. Right. What are, what are you realistically going to do against this Alabama team to stop the turnovers when you don't have a field general out there?
0: Something else that people don't talk about enough when you see injuries occur, especially when you, not typically just one injury is going to do this to you, but when a whole position group gets wiped out like this and you start seeing guys get moved out of position, and not often does a whole position group get wiped out like this. It's just obviously Auburn's dealing with some unforeseen and honestly ridiculous circumstances with the NCAA right now in terms of Sharif Cooper. Without a point guard, it's moving other guys to different places on the floor and how you match up with other teams who have full rosters how that how defensive matchups look like you're guarding guys out of position as well you're not just out of position on offense you're out of position on defense too now I don't think we've seen as much of an impact on the defensive side of the floor for Auburn without without Justin Powell and Sharif Cooper maybe from a rebounding standpoint it's nice to have a six foot six guard for rebounding and he did have his healthy share of rebounds as well I mean I don't remember a time where I've seen Auburn guards be able to you know grab as many as nine or ten rebounds in a game we've seen him grab as many as nine this year so it's a big loss for Auburn especially if he doesn't play tomorrow of course we just found out that he did not practice and so we'll see what that means for tomorrow against Alabama we've talked a lot about the negatives here for Auburn but the positive thing is they're back at home They can shoot the basketball really well at home, especially from beyond the arc, and that's going to be an equalizer. I don't think Auburn gets blown out in this game. I think it's going to be a fun game, and it's going to have Alabama folks sweating. And look, need I remind all of you where Auburn was going into this game last year, the first time these two teams played, and where it was played at and what happened. Auburn was undefeated going into this game last year, going into Coleman Coliseum, and Auburn got beat by Alabama. Now the shoe is on the other foot. This is, this is the reverse of the situation. Now, Alabama may not be undefeated overall, but they're undefeated in conference play, feeling great about themselves, and now they're coming to the Plains to a team that can still shoot the basketball. And if the ball bounces the right way and maybe they trim down on turnovers just enough, I think this team will be amped up enough to be able to pull off an upset. You cannot write this Auburn basketball team off at any point. I said yesterday or maybe two days ago about – if you wrote this Alabama basketball team off after that Western Kentucky loss, you were wrong to do so. And if you write this Alabama team off at any point this season, you would have been wrong to do so. The same thing can be said about Auburn. It will never be. As long as Auburn does not have a point guard on this team, it will never be time to panic with this squad. You see the talent, you see the improvement. It will never be time to panic with this group because it's still Bruce Pearl as head coach. You're still seeing progression on this team. There's still talent and they're they playing in current circumstances that any team in college basketball would have immense difficulty with. And so this Auburn team, it will never be time to panic when there's this much talent on the roster and they can get as hot as they can from beyond the three-point line. So people need to... Uh, nobody's being impatient. There's, I, I get no vibe from that anywhere with Auburn. I, I think people just kind of resigned to that at the beginning of the year when they said no postseason and they saw how things went against those first three games St. Joe's and Gonzaga and UCF but I think people should be happy with the progression they've seen of course you want to break the losing streak and you want to start getting some wins you want to see them put together and if Auburn doesn't put it together this year that will be ever so slightly concerning but I also need to
1: see if they had a point guard on the floor you can't really see what the development is without the point guard and think about it Jalen Williams had a career game the other night a nice bright spot so there's plenty to look forward to with this team and in this game alone We're going into the last segment of the first
0: hour here on On the Line. we still got an hour and 15 minutes, though, so don't go anywhere. Stay with us here on On
2: the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Thanks to Ed joining us on the show today
0: we really appreciate people calling in onto the show and joining us and facilitating the conversation we want to talk about what you want to talk about so once again a big thank you to ed joining us today in that last segment talking to us a little bit about auburn basketball you can join in too at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 we'll talk about what you want to talk about of course auburn announced a slew of hires yesterday who do you think is going to make the biggest impact of the group of three guys that were hired Mason Bobo friend and then Auburn basketball against Alabama tomorrow questions thoughts analysis maybe stuff that we're not picking up on that you are we want to hear about it because sometimes you know at some of the most rewarding times is when you're on the air somebody calls in throws a stat your way that's a little bit of a curveball it's like wow I hadn't seen that yet looks it up and I mean it just it changes the way you think about things so I really appreciate it when people call into this show. So once again, I'll throw that number out there, 334-321-1390 or 888 382 But we're going to switch gears here a little bit for the final segment of the first hour of On the Line. And we won't finish it all up right here, but we will try to get through as many games as possible and then we'll revisit it later on in the show. But the NFL playoffs starting this weekend, of course, most people are going to be tuning into that over the weekend. And we've gotten expanded playoffs this year so looking at it and we'll run through these games the way that we're going to do this we're going to do this a, a little bit different me, me and you aren't going to have our individual picks we're going to do this as a show but we're going to call it on the line and one of us has to pull the other if there's disagreement onto their side for the pick and we're going to have a joint pick of a playoff bracket here and we're going to walk through the whole thing here we'll start with the wild card games and whatnot so it's the on the line edition of picking the nfl playoffs You ready to go
1: let's go let's do it
0: then here we go we'll start off with the 1205 p.m cbs game on saturday the indianapolis colts who enter the playoffs as the seventh seed taking on just a narrow miss of the number one overall seed with the two-seeded buffalo bills
1: i think the buffalo bills for me personally are way too hot right now for the colts to keep up with the colts are one of the few teams to finish with a top 10 offense and top 10 defense in the nfl heading into the playoffs that bodes well for them i just think that the bills are way too hot right now allen to Diggs has just been phenomenal all year who would have thought that Diggs would have produced like he did this year because he hasn't done it anywhere else and maybe
0: it was a factor of the offense and who was throwing to him in minnesota
1: i feel like i feel like people should have seen this coming Diggs has never operated as the number one receiver in an offense he was sharing time with thielen in minnesota playing with worse quarterback talent if you look back on last year, you had John Brown, who was operating as the number one in this Buffalo offense. Clearly, everybody knows that Stephon Diggs is much more talented than John Brown is, and it showed. Stephon Diggs comes in, gets to be the true alpha of an offense at the receiver position, and it shows out. It helps when Josh Allen makes you know a big stride of improvement to come out and become more accurate as a quarterback and actually put it, what seems to put it all together. So, I think people should have seen this coming. I think their preconceived notion of Josh Allen being a bust and being a bad quarterback really— That's out the window. Yeah, it's out the window now. I think That's, that's,
0: on, that's on fire, like Buffalo Bills fans setting something on fire outside of their stadium. I mean, we've seen it. <laughs> for sure.
1: They, a lot of people kind of wrote this team off at the beginning of the year because they didn't think Josh Allen would be able to make that leap. He made the leap. This is a really good team. Bills fans are
0: dancing on the grave of that terrible take that has died.
1: I laughed. I laughed when they picked him. I was sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings watching the draft, So they're and dancing I on
0: your laughs grave.
1: Oh, I've been eating crow since then. I'm wrong. I, was wrong. I was big wrong the on that The biggest shock
0: one. for me is that he can move.
1: Uh, that, Someone that big can move. He's their best running back on the roster right now. I mean, nothing against Devin Singletary or Zach Moss, but... Josh Allen Who? is the primary running three. Yeah, there you go. Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic and Zach Moss out of Utah. For anybody who's college football savvy and wanted to know where they are, not the best rushing you're, attack. but
0: You're a big NFL guy. You don't have to pull me over onto this one. I The Bills are the hottest team in the NFL right now, enough said. Them and the Chiefs. So it's going to be fun seeing them when they finally do collide, if they do, in our bracket. But the Bills are the hottest team right now, and I don't think – they're going to be put out in the first round by a Colts team that is kind of hit or miss on the offensive side of the ball, depending on how Phillip Rivers is playing. And the Bills are are good enough, I think, to, uh, to be able to get, even if the Colts play their best game, I, I still don't think it's going to be good enough to get past the Bills in the first round. So I will go with you on the Bills on that one. So we've got them moving on. Let's keep going on the Saturday side of the bracket. Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks, 3.40 p.m. Fox. Let's try and go through this one a little bit quicker. Let's try and get through the Saturday slate before we move on.
1: Man, this one's tough. This one's not as slam dunk as the first one. I'm just going to go with the Seahawks based off of who they are. I can't go against Russell Wilson. When you're giving me Russell Wilson versus John Walford, former AAF hotshot, I'm going to go with Russell Wilson. Arguably, I think Walford's probably a better option at quarterback than Jared Goff is. Playoff experience at quarterback's uber important. It is. And I Russell mean, Wilson's got it. These two teams always play a close game. I just cannot bet against Russell Wilson going up against John Walford, former AAF quarterback. It's hard to do.
0: Enough said. I'm with you. Russell Wilson, too, the great improviser of the NFL. I don't care what the Rams and I think this is actually kind of an okay matchup for Russell Wilson too because you talk about teams that have great defensive lines like I think the Rams would have Aaron Donald would affect just about any other quarterback other than maybe Aaron Rodgers in this bracket on the NFC side but I don't think that I think Russell Wilson has the escape ability to where that nullifies that a little bit and then if, if you take the Rams defensive line out of it what else do they do well right now there's a big reason why they got in as a 6 seed. They really didn't feel like they were playing their best football at the end of the season. So you don't have to pull me over onto your side on that one. I'm already there with you. So we've gone chalk so far. Three-seeded Seahawks make it as well. We've got time for about one more pick. We've got a minute left in this segment here. So rounding out the Saturday, and this is the one that you feel really weird about, Tampa Bay at Washington, seven fifteen, NBC, Saturday Night Football in the NFL.
1: This one's going to take convincing because I'm actually going with the football team in this one. The way you beat Tom Brady is to be able to produce a pass rush with three to four down linemen, which, guess what? Washington football has that. They have Chase Young. They have Deron Payne. They have Montez Sweat. They have just uh, Allen. They have such a host of guys who can get after the quarterback. You saw it with the Saints when they played the Buccaneers. You saw it with the Bears when they played the Buccaneers. Get pressure on Brady. Sit back, let guys like Landon Collins drop back into coverage and really pressure him. If they don't upset him, if you're a gambling person or if you just like looking at spreads, plus eight is a really good line for the football team in this one, I think. Can I just, we
0: add a rule to this? Can we add a rule to this? We each get one veto.
1: <laughs> you're going to veto me on this one? I,
0: I need to. And I don't have enough time to prove my point on this side because literally in like 10 seconds, we're about to go to the end of the hour break. See, there it goes. Cue the music. Tom Brady, the GOAT, is not getting beat in the first round of the playoffs once again I go back to playoff experience at quarterback super important Brady's not getting bounced in the first round how many times did that happen in Tampa Bay it's not happening here we got the second hour coming up just a few moments here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama don't go anywhere
2: you are on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and Silicaga. and in auburn and opelika on espn 106.7 listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888 888-
0: Hour number two of the Friday edition of On The Line. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. It's good to be at the end of the week, I'm sure. I'm going to miss it. This has been a great first week of On The Line, and we appreciate everybody that's called in, guests, and also just the people in the community that have showed us so much support, the messages that we've gotten from people. It really means a lot just to see how people have really interacted and received this show and it's really encouraging for us moving forward it's been a true blessing to have launched this show this week and i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes beyond if you want to join in call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 you can find the podcast on apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher and iheart radio if you've missed any shows this week you can go back and check them out a ton of content there for people to digest and we'll reset the show here with how we started it off Auburn announced yesterday a slew of hires they had three new coaches added to Brian Harson's staff officially Mike Bobo at OC Derek Mason at defensive coordinator and Will Friend at offensive line coach of course there are more to come and we'll have more coaching hires to digest over time maybe some this weekend maybe some early next week I'm sure those timetables will ratchet up a little bit for Auburn moving forward now that they've got the two most important on the staff already cleared up at OC and defensive coordinator. I started out the show asking you about which coach you thought would make the biggest impact. You said Derek Mason. I said just from a, a change perspective, from a statistical perspective, I think you're right on Derek Mason. From a change perspective about which side of the ball is going to see the most drastic change in scheme and in all these different things. I think it's offense with Mike Bobo coming in and bringing a little bit more of a pro-style impact. This is like the pro-style guy in the Southeast, I feel like. Name another name as as connected to the pro-style, at least pro-style systems and maybe some pro-style schemes and pro-style play calling as Mike Bobo is right now in the Southeast. I mean, right now. Most guys have already moved away from it and have adapted a little bit, whereas I think Mike Bobo has still some of those pro style tendencies but maybe he's adapted his offense a little bit more to what the defenses of this day and age are doing I'm okay with this I know some people aren't but I think that this is a good move on the offensive side of the ball that some people maybe aren't overly excited about because it's not you know boom it's not flash uh, on the offensive side but I think it's going to be no gimmicks I think it's going to be hard-nosed I think they're going to bring in the I think they're going to bring in the emergence of the tight end position and I think you're going to see Bo Nix really develop as a quarterback and that's what I want to center in on here what does this mean for Bo Nix in this offense who seems to be receiving all this well based on his recent post on
1: Instagram it seems like this will be a good move for Bo Nix as the quarterback just from the track record of what Mike Bobo has done with quarterbacks he got a lot out of Matthew Safford who is you know a talented quarterback got a lot out of Aaron Murray who was not a talented NFL quarterback, but he got a lot out of him in college. He even had some some uh, influence on David Green way back in the day. He's gotten a lot out of quarterbacks, and I think Bo Nix, on his third offensive coordinator now, hard to think about that. He's it's like his- what
0: happened to Baker in the in the pros, and and people want to talk about Bo Nix's development. Just go look at what happened to Baker Mayfield in the NFL from year one to year two and how we saw him take a step back under Freddie Kitchens. And then year three for Baker has been an absolute dreamland compared to his first two years because he finally got some stability and an offense that fits his framework as a quarterback. Maybe that's about to happen for Bo Nix.
1: I think it could. I think it very well could. I think Bo Nix could come in here with Mike Bobo at his side and just really put some of this together, actually get developed a little bit. It has been a thing where quarterbacks have not developed very well under the previous regime. I think this is a really good chance for my Bobo to come in and be impactful in terms of not only changing this offense from what it was, but really getting the best out of Bo Nix. If we can get Bo Nix to stay in the pocket and really work and progress as a pocket passer, get him on the move still and use his mobility, but not rely on that mobility in terms of every time he drops back to pass, having to scramble out and even when he's not scrambling out, you can work on that and build on that. The arm strength's there. The talent's there. I mean, he's a high-profile recruit for a reason. It's there. We've seen the flashes. We've seen really, really good spots from Bo Nix. We've seen NFL throws from Bo Nix. Problem is, we've also seen bad Bo Nix. We've seen bad throws. We've seen overthrows. We've seen misfires. seen bad decisions. Bad decisions. We've
0: seen bad attitude, I think, on the field. And that's, Cameras have captured his moments with we, Chad Morris and also receivers and offensive linemen and i can't tell you how many times i've seen a receiver or running back they got overthrown and then just like shrug or throw their hands up in the, in the air that's not good body language when you're talking yeah. about you see that multiple times in different games throughout the season that's not good body language between those guys and their quarterback i don't think that anybody has I don't think anybody's necessarily overly lost confident and I'm talking about players here I I don't think that it necessarily means that players have lost full-fledged confidence in Bo Nix but I definitely think it means you know they're kind of a little they're a little weary and a little worn out by some of what's happened this past year with his play just his play is what I'm talking about because I'm not in the locker room I don't know what kind of guy he is amongst the guys but obviously when you see some of the things that we've seen this year happen repeatedly that's kind of an indicator that guys are kind of tired of getting overthrown.
1: Because it makes them look bad, too. I'm, they're not getting to get the catches. and Fair. I don't think it makes
0: them look bad, though. I just think they, just, they want to look good. It doesn't that, make them look bad. Yeah, it doesn't it make, just doesn't make them look good, either. They
1: want to look good. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make them look bad, but it takes away from what. Frustration
0: is the good word to use here. I think guys just may be frustrated with what's happening.
1: When you're open, you want to be able to catch the ball. You don't want to watch it go... You want to score
0: touchdowns, you know? You wanna you wanna you, the offense isn't supposed to be hard. And basketball, I love when you see teams that are that have a lot of great chemistry, the senior laden teams. Shameless plug here. After the after this show today, I'll be heading out to Auburn High School. They're taking on Lochapoka tonight. You'll be able to hear that ball game on ninety six three W Lee. I imagine about a six thirty tip for Auburn High Basketball. So you can catch that game. I'll be on the call for it once again. Auburn High Basketball against Lochapoca on ninety six three W Lee. So you can be able to check that game out. But Something about Auburn High School and basketball that's really stuck out to me and what that team does so well for a high school team. First of all, they're averaging more assists than Auburn basketball does, Auburn University basketball does. They're averaging 18 assists per game. That's a lot for a high school team when you compare it to just averages across high school basketball. That's a ton. But only one player averages in double digits for Auburn High basketball, and Jay Baker. Everybody else is averaging about eight to nine, and they all share the basketball and there's seven or eight guys nine guys that could carry the load for this team any night and break out and have a big game and there's a big reason why this Auburn high team really can end up being a contender when it gets to late stage in the season so I draw all this back to to Auburn University football and saying that guys look like they're having fun especially in basketball when they're sharing sharing is caring and 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 they are moving the basketball around and you're scoring teams are having fun when everybody's getting a touch and football i think the same can be applied to it when there's rhythm everybody's getting involved you're not seeing mistakes i mean literally rhythm is what an offense needs identity and rhythm is what an offense needs for guys to be having fun and to be enjoying their football out there and we haven't seen that at auburn under bowlegs at least with consistency over the two years he's been there and I think that's got to change and Bobo's going to have to find a way to add consistency to that and I think part of that they're going to have to rein in some things that have that have happened on the field in the past two years
1: it's going to have to get a lot more consistent just like I mean like you said it's gonna, you how many times have we seen a guy running on a go route or a post route overshot the, and just completely overshot. once a game at least at least once a game I'm, I'm, I feel like I have, every game I'm watching or I was watching Anthony Schwartz with separation with a step or two behind a guy and it hits in the back of the end zone five, six, seven yards away from him, sometimes 10. And those are the kind of things you have to clear up. I don't care about the recklessness. I don't care about the poor decisions every
0: once in a while. Sam Darnold made poor decisions. Sam Ellinger made poor decisions. We see quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson made a lot of poor decisions as far as in-game throwing the football to the other team. We've seen that. That's not my problem. If Bo Nix really doesn't throw an egregious amount of interceptions for, for, compared to most people that make poor decisions throughout a football game, he's on the good side of the interception spectrum, right? I don't care about that. You can still be a great to elite player in college football and still you know be a little trigger happy and throw a little, one, one too many interceptions occasionally because at least he's trying to make a play at that point. I don't care about that. I just want to see general consistency in the game and so a point that I want to make and we talked about this with Auburn basketball earlier in the show and I want to apply this to Bo Nix never ever write off talent when you see there's talent and a guy in a team never write it off never always assume or always understand that the team could turn it on at some point that all it takes is for something to click and then boom you look you're wrong and you know people may have written off and you said this people may have written off josh allen in the nfl with the bills guess what still proving people wrong to this day and that's a failed take a dead take and the bills fans are dancing all over its grave so for me i'm not writing off bo Nix, and i know a lot of people have wanted to move on from him who are you going to move on to
1: there's G- not there's not an op- there's Lloyd? not a viable option no right there's, there's not, not a viable option to make is sure.
0: davis isn't isn't ready yet he's a freshman he's not going to be ready yet and jake bentley's now transferring to south alabama so there goes the hottest I-, I felt like the best quarterback in the transfer portal that's that we started the show off this week with that hoping that maybe that, that would be something for having, for him to come home He's coming back to his home state but not to auburn and right now brian harson's not looking in the transfer portal probably to recruit because he just made his first offensive coordinator hire yesterday you're not going to make those types of decisions without the guy who's coming in to run your offense so Auburn's even to the late to the game and trying to bring some new transfers in compared to guys who kept their coaching staff which is fine I, I think you got to make sure you get the coaches right before you try and go and bring outside players in Auburn's got Auburn's quarterback next year for the entire season for the next two years I'll let you go for the next two year's Auburn's quarterback for the future is Bo Nix deal with it but never right off talent because it doesn't just dry up maybe with age it does but it doesn't just dry up it's there waiting for the right coach for the right personality for the right scheme to unlock it and i'm more and more comfortable with this with the hires that i'm seeing with bobo's experience with quarterbacks and with harson's experience with quarterbacks that they've got the key to unlock bo
1: nix's chest of potential i agree with that i mean these the hires that have been made at Auburn, whether it's Coach Harson, whether it's Coach Bobo, these are Bo Nix friendly hires. They are hires that give you a lot of optimism about Bo Nix. You said it. Don't write off talent. We've seen what the kid can do when we've seen the flashes, we've seen the good parts of his game. These guys have all the potential as the coaches to unlock all of that talent that he has. Put it all together, help him be placed in a situation. Where he can be successful, it might not work. He might come out next year and play poorly. We're not saying that it is a guarantee that he's going to come out. You know, this is going to work out. I just think it looks like it will. It it looks like we looks like Auburn has the pieces in place to really get the most out of Bo Nix moving forward. And if you're an Auburn fan, especially an Auburn football fan, you should be excited about what this means for at least the potential at the quarterback position. It is a very quarterback-friendly move with your head coach and your offensive coordinator.
0: That's another reason why I think it's important, and going back to where it started was, which coach will make the most impact. That's another reason why I think Bobo is the guy. Bobo and Harson, I think those two coaches have the ability to unlock Bo Nix's potential and take him to the level where Auburn fans have been craving for at a quarterback and where he can truly live up to his legacy at Auburn, and at least the expectations that have been put on him at Auburn. Now it can happen. Without this hire, not saying that there's not another coach out there th- that could do it, but Bobo's a good culture fit, and other and among other reasons why I think this is a fit at Auburn, I think he can unlock Bo Nicks, and that's going to be a big change. Alone, that's a huge change. That's, that's honestly the most important change, probably, and I can't believe we haven't thought about that until now, but that's probably the biggest change that you'll see on the offensive side of the ball for Auburn. And what, something that, as we've said time and time again, is sorely needed when you're looking at and evaluating the future of Auburn's football program. We've got to make some more NFL picks, more of the wild card round. We're going through our NFL bracket. That'll be coming up You're on the other side of this break on On
2: the Line. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
0: You think Tom Brady's going down in the playoffs, and I'm okay with that. That seems to be the upset that everybody wants to pick in the first round because, you know, Washington football team and whatnot, you know, losing records typically win a game in the playoffs. I say typically in recent history, but you're on the line. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. We're going through our NFL playoff bracket and a rule that we omitted and put in there because I didn't have enough time to defend – my Tom Brady pick to be able to bring it on to that side you ran me to the end of the first hour break I had the Buccaneers beating the Redskins you had the Redskins beating the Buccaneers and I said no I'm not letting you take Tom Brady out and I'm not even a Tom Brady fan you know I'm not over here like we stand with Tom Brady right I'm just I'm just saying that I don't think he's going out against the Redskins because of the general playoff experience and now Tom Brady's hearing all this mess you know that the that the Redskins a talking trash about they're happy that they're happy that uh they're happy that they're getting Tom Brady Redskins you know defensive lineman I think maybe it was Chase Young said he wanted Tom Brady no you don't nobody says that and it ends well and, and among other things I mean it's I mean Tom Brady's now getting billboard material and that's not what you want but we'll keep moving forward here across the playoffs and looking at the schedule here we're moving into the Sunday slate of games for the wild card round twelve oh five on ABC and ESPN. Baltimore Ravens at Tennessee Titans this is the 5-4 matchup and you're really hot on the Ravens right now and I talked to my good friend Christian Page friend of the show who'll be joining us next week of cover one Um, NFL draft guy himself he covers the NFL draft this was a team I mean between what the Titans were looking at I mean the Titans were either gonna have to play the Bills or the Ravens he didn't want to have to play either of those teams because the Ravens are you know they're playing the best football other than the Bills I feel like right now on the AFC side
1: And that was a heady play on my part, just pushing you all the way to that time limit so you didn't have a chance to defend your pick just so I could sit here. Real heady play. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens are hot. Everybody wrote them off when they had the COVID outbreak, but you still have talent all over that roster. John Harbaugh is just an amazing, amazing coach in the NFL, especially defense special teams. You have one of the greatest kickers. You have one of the greatest rushing attacks with Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. You have a lot to like in this game. It's going to be close, I think. I think the Ravens will eat this out. I think it's going to actually be a really run-heavy game, which is going to kind of counter... It's going to be counterproductive to what I say. The over is the sexy pick in this game because the Titans' defense, abysmal. Their red zone defense, one of the worst five in the league. But they also have a really good red zone offense, the Titans do. So I could see this being a really high-score game. Instead of at 54-and-a-half. I wouldn't want to pick this game outright, but I would pick the over in this game just for anybody out there curious about it.
0: I I know a thing or two about Lamar Jackson running all over my defense. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I hope that's been documented this week. We're in the playoffs, you know, but um, I saw also three, four weeks ago, Lamar Jackson ripped my heart out coming out of the locker room and just stepping onto the field in a movie moment, like, hey, bring him on, you know, and ran all over us and He's tough. He is tough to contain and they're playing really good football right now. You know he's never thrown an interception in the red zone before?
1: I did not know that. He's got like
0: forty something touchdowns to no interceptions in the in the red zone in his career. Incredible. And that's something that you that you don't typically talk about with a scrambler with a scrambling quarterback like Lamar Jackson, but his passing games really evolved and that was the thing that everybody wanted to knock him for. I think we saw time and time again at Louisville him make, you know, interceptions in the red zone and that's not the case anymore um this one's tough for me and I like your arguments you said Ravens yeah you got Ravens going a, a sizable difference in this in this playoffs. I hate it because Christian Page a good friend of mine is is a Titans fan and I I you know Ravens are a am anti-Ravens because of the division but I have a hard time picking against Lamar Jackson right now and this is a team that I I was afraid of going into our matchup several weeks ago because I knew that the Ravens were beginning to turn the corner I still think this is it was it's been an underwhelming season for them but I think they're definitely peaking at the right point, and that's that's all that matters. Not the number next to their. It's not about the number next to the team name as far as seating is concerned. It's about how they're playing right now. The Ravens are alongside the Bills, the two hottest teams in the AFC, and the AFC is loaded. So uh, you don't have to do anything to convince me there with the Ravens. We got Chicago Bears at New Orleans Saints, three forty p.m. CBS, seven two matchup here, and we know which
1: one of these is the two, the New Orleans Saints. As as a New Orleans Saints fan. It's hard to see this matchup because every year it seems that the Saints have one of these matchups in the first round that they never come out and perform for. No Trey Hendrickson this week is going to be huge, but to on the opposite side, the Bears are without Roquan Smith. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be hard, I think, for Mitchell Trubisky to really get going because of the Saints' defense, who has been playing really well as of late. Ten-point ten spreads a lot. I don't know if they win by that ten. I would like to think that they do. They really the Saints usually do pretty well in games where they look really bad in a win in the earlier in the season in a rematch. Traditionally under Sean Payton, they normally look a little bit better if they looked not great, and they did not look great at all when they played at Soldier Field. Luckily, it's in the dome. Obviously, it's not the same effect that it's going to have without the fans there. But I'm still going to go with the Saints. I think they're way too talented. I don't think the Bears can hang with them. It, I might get burned for that but I think that they're just the better team
0: they're a two seed my man and the Bears are at 500 they're eight and eight and they've I've got been, Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback
1: I've been hurt I've been hurt so many times it won't happen
0: Saints are going to win this game and at home they've got all the pieces still i know drew Brees maybe isn't playing up to what we remember as drew Brees, and i know the running back room in recent memory has been hit pretty hard but hey ty montgomery's still that guy right kamara <laughs> did say, kamara
1: did say that he was going to play he said he'll be back on he said he will see us on sunday which that's great to hear we assume that means he's playing he might just come look at everybody and say hey on the sidelines saints are the two
0: seed they win i mean they were on the verge of they were on the verge of moving on to be a one seed, right? And the Bears couldn't pull it off. Now you get your revenge. Now you get your revenge.
1: I hope they take that into consideration. Thanks Bears.
0: So, Saints win this one. No convincing needed to do there and if people are now joining us wonder what we're doing. We're going through the NFL playoff bracket and each person's going to get a veto. We're doing a joint bracket for on the line and we've got to try and pull the other to the other side. If it's a, you know, if there's disagreement here. And so far, we've had agreement on every single pick except for the Buccaneers and the, and the football team. It's been brought to my attention that I've been saying Redskins this whole time. Excuse me. So, Buccaneers and football team. And I, I picked the Buccaneers. And I vetoed and put the Buccaneers in as you wanted to take Washington. This one, I have a feeling you're going to veto me on six seated Browns, three seated Steelers, 715 NBC. And I'm going to go ahead and make my pick here. Cleveland Browns are going to win, and here is why. And I know that there's been a lot of COVID issues around the program, but the Steelers have given the Browns billboard motivation material. People don't want to talk about the Browns going into this playoffs now because of all they didn't end the season great, lost to the Jets two weeks ago. They've also had COVID cases over these last three or four weeks. Borderline, it looks like an outbreak when your head coach, several position groups, Joel Batonio's out but the Browns are still getting back a sizable amount of guys because they're able to play on Sunday, so they're still going to be bringing back their roster. They've still been preparing for this game. Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster said this, I think they're still the same Browns team I play every year. I think they're nameless, gray faces. They have a couple good players on their team, but at the end of the day, the Browns is the Browns. I am so offended because he called the Browns the Browns. That's offensive because I know what he means by that. I know what he means by that. But this Browns (laughs) team is not the same Browns team that he's referring to right now because they found a way to win football games. And this is a big point for me. Rudolph went for 315 last week, two touchdowns and a pick. Roethlisberger's going to be back. How often did Roethlisberger throw for 315 down the stretch? I I think the actual general arm strength, the general arm potential of Ben Roethlisberger is a step back from the youth and the vivacity of Mason Rudolph at quarterback. Now, is he going to make better decisions than Rudolph because the pick that Rudolph had was egregious? Yes, he will make better decisions than that and he will protect the football better. But if there's one thing that can be said about Roethlisberger right now, he looks like Peyton Manning did or maybe a little bit better than Peyton Manning did going into the playoffs of the year of, of Peyton Manning's swan song with the Denver Broncos. And the Browns, Still have a running game, and running game and defense is going to be the way you go through the playoffs. And Browns right now, Nick Chubb's playing great. Baker Mayfield's playing his best football of his career at the time being. I'm taking the Browns in an upset.
1: See, I was already on the fence about this one. This was kind of a coin flip for me. I was leaning towards the Steelers simply because they have such a great run defense, and that's what the backbone of the Cleveland Browns offense is on. Stefanski wants to run the ball, he wants to make it ugly, he wants to. Just run it down your throat with guys like Nick Chubb. You've got Kareem Hunt. And then put Baker in a position to succeed. But I like what you're saying. I think there's a lot of motivation in this game for Cleveland. Does that come into – does it materialize? I don't know. I think I will side with you on this one, and I will go Cleveland. You'll wait on the veto for later. Well, I was all, I was already leaning on this one. I think that – I like it. I, what you said about Juju Smith-Schuster, who apparently just loves giving the team's bullet material. You had the TikTok dances – on you know, the midfield logo throughout the year, which got him lit up in the Cincinnati Bengals game. You have the comments that he said just now or today about the Cleveland Browns, which is just Don't you a- call
0: the Browns the Browns? It's, it's not the same thing. It's
1: asinine to say that because they're loaded with stars. If anybody, the Browns have so many names that everybody knows. It's, it's not, not it's right. It's not like they're a good a good team that nobody knows. You have Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett. You have Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb. You have all these guys that people know. They're not nameless gray faces. It's, it's an asinine comment. And you know what? I will go with it because I'm going to be cheering for the Browns anyway. Plus six is just such a good number. That line opened up with the Browns catching three and a half. Now they're catching six. Nobody's betting that plus six line for the Browns. It just shows me that Vegas really likes it where it's at to keep it within that six. And that just looks so incredibly juicy for me.
0: As far as matchups, I think the Browns are in a better place offensively going into this game, even without Batonio on the line. But they've still got all their receivers back. Kaderil Hodge was the guy who tested positive. Great. The, the fourth guy on the depth chart was the guy that you're going to be missing. So that's not a big miss. Of course, losing Stefanski going to be tough. But I'm going to trust that the offensive coordinator knows how to call the system for the Browns on offense. Um now looking at defense I give the Steelers the edge there a substantial edge there but I think that the Steelers offensively don't throw the football well enough to be able to truly take advantage of the Browns greatest weakness which is the secondary but more on the playoffs coming up on on the line we're going to keep taking us all the way through the Super Bowl
2: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
0: Halfway through the last hour of On the Line. Coming up after us at 4 on ESPN 1067 The Drive with Bill Cameron. Make sure you stay with those guys. We've got four hours. Of live local programming on ESBN 1067 Noah Gardner Levi Fitzwater with you if you want to join in the show call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 we have gone through the wild card round now for picks we've got four in the divisional round now and we're going through our NFL draft or our NFL playoff bracket I almost a draft our NFL playoff bracket here for you taking it all the way to the Super Bowl for our pick there and we're doing it together it's a it's a joint pick and it's the line edition of it so whoever's on the line of it the other guys got to try and pull them to the other side if there's any disagreements on picks and so we've got a joint bracket here and moving on all the way to the divisional round we've got the Chiefs playing the Browns we've got the Bills against the Ravens the Packers against the Bucks and the Saints against the Seahawks let's start it off Chiefs Browns I just made the argument Browns are going to beat the Steelers I think that Mason Rudolph's 315 and two touchdowns he played out of his mind against the Browns last week I don't think you see Big Ben with where he's at in this stage in his career and how he's been playing recently even with a week off of rest I don't think you see him throw for 315 and I I think the Browns offense will do about the same as what they did in the previous game because nothing's changing in the offense of the Browns against the Steelers defense nothing's changing in that matchup what's changing is Big Ben's entering the equation for the Steelers Marquise Pouncey Those guys are entering the equation for the Steelers' offense. Is that enough to bridge the gap? I don't know. The Browns played so well against the Steelers' run game. I think they find a way to pull that upset. So Browns-Chiefs, I'll make this one easy. Chiefs will dissect the Browns' pass defense, which has been abysmal all season long. I think Patrick Mahomes gets the ball out of his hands so fast that it's going to nullify any type of pass rush that Cleveland will be able to put on him. Chiefs win it easy. I think you can agree. Chiefs into the AFC title game.
1: Yeah, I agree. With the Chiefs in the AFC title game, I don't think it'd be close if they are playing the Cleveland Browns in this scenario. I just I don't think that the Browns have enough on the defensive side in the secondary to keep up with all the weapons they have. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, you know what they're doing. Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins. There's just too much on that back end. You love the you love the pressure that they'll be able to get to them, but. It's going to be hard if Andy Reid's an offensive genius. He's going to He would scheme around that to where you have Patrick Mahomes ripping it out as quickly as possible to nullify that pass rush. Just maybe not nullify it, but really keep it at bay.
0: Other AFC Divisional game that we've gotten to now, Bills-Ravens, you're going to have to convince me on this one because I have no idea what to do.
1: So if Bills Ravens, I'm going to stick with my pick, and I'm going to keep going with the Ravens. I think they're a hot team right now. You noted over the break they have been playing a little bit of lackluster talent, but I think what's going to happen is the lack of experience for Buffalo, which you could say that for the Ravens as well in terms what of what happened last year. Yeah, in terms of player personnel, I think they went there last year. They got embarrassed on television, national television, against the Titans, a team that nobody expected to make that run. I think they come out with John Harbaugh as a coach, and I think they're just going to come out, play a good game, and honestly, they'll probably run the ball a lot, keep the ball away from Josh Allen. The Bills' defense hasn't been that good all year. It's been a little suspect. It's been great at times, but not the best. I think that they just give the ball to Lamar Jackson. They run it out with him, J.K. Dobbins and those guys. I think they really just control the tempo of the game and keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And then again, you're turning it over to defense and special teams, which is what John Harbaugh ex- excels at. And I think he'll limit Josh Allen a little bit.
0: I don't think that I can do anything to convince you otherwise. So I will go with you on the Ravens. I'm on the fence. The Bills are playing the best football in the AFC. They seem to be more of a complete team than the Ravens. But I also like the way the Ravens are playing right now. I like your pick. I like your analysis of it. John Harbaugh definitely seems to – definitely I have more confidence in him being able to slow down the other side than I do in the Bills being able to slow down Lamar Jackson, especially if, the, if, if Lamar Jackson and the Ravens can get past the Titans in round one who, of course, don't have a great defense, of course. Their, their defense has struggled this year. But I think if they can get by there, then they're feeling good about themselves getting over that hump, that playoff hump that they've had then they can maybe play a little bit more loose. That first game for the Ravens is going to be tough for them because of their struggles in the playoff and that kind of them over, uh, hanging over them a little bit. But let's, let's say they do get to the AFC title game. Chiefs-Ravens, we'll just go ahead and run through it and get a Super Bowl pick there. Chiefs-Ravens,
1: and this one's spicy, and I think we're about to go head-to-head here. I'm, I'm going to stick with the Ravens. They're my Super no Bowl way. pick this year. I think the same thing holds true. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs on Monday Night Football earlier this year. 34-20. Absolutely embarrassed. I think, again, they're going to control the tempo of this game. They're going to run the ball really well. They're going to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. I think they go into Arrowhead. I think they get a win. It's not going to be a pretty win. It won't be a big win, but I think they pull it out at the end. I know it's hard to say. It's hard to go against Patrick Mahomes. It's just hard to... Make it to the Super Bowl two years in a row if you're not, you know, New England with Tom Brady the past however many years they did that. But it's, I think it's just going to be hard. I think it's hard. Eventually, it's going to catch up to the Chiefs. And I think the Ravens are going to benefit from that and be able to sneak past them and go to the Super Bowl.
0: It's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes. And the Ravens defense really hasn't improved. Look at what the Browns did them. The last time that they played, A good offense. We're not talking about the Giants here. We're not talking about the Jaguars. We're not talking about the Bengals, even without Joe Burrow. I mean, that's their last three games right there. When they played the Browns, the Browns threw up 42 on them. And Patrick Mahomes is much better than Baker Mayfield. And that receiving core is better than what the Browns have from one through three. I think Jarvis would be an excellent addition to the Kansas City Chiefs. But I stand by that what the Chiefs will be able to do offensively is still be able to pinpoint and attack weaknesses in the Ravens' defense. Now, you still have a veto here. You can still, you know, I would try and put your Super Bowl pick in if you feel that confident about it. I just have a hard time believing that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens can run through the gauntlet here. They're they are not as complete as the Chiefs are. Defensively, the Chiefs have enough to where if they stop you enough times in a ball game, Patrick Mahomes will win it for him. And Mahomes did it. Mahomes has that experience but on the flip side I also have a hard time believing that you see the same team in the Super Bowl two years in a row how often does that happen
1: that's then that really helps me go with this pick it just makes me feel like it's so hard to go back to back so I'm gonna have to stand with the Ravens if you're disagreeing I guess I'll have to pull out the veto on you
0: fine Ravens in the Super Bowl I'll let you have your fun maybe that's a power play for me on a possible future disagreement let's move on to the NFC side of the bracket. We still got a couple minutes left in this segment. We'll try and get through the divisional round here and then maybe we'll talk Super Bowl last segment. Packers, Bucks, one five matchup here. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, the matchup we all want in the NFC playoffs.
1: I don't know if we all want it. I don't, but most people do. You that's the you want two of the best going at it. I think Green Bay pulls this out. Well, I mean, have,
0: let's settle this thing in the playoffs, man. People want to compare the two. Let's settle it in the playoffs. We're talking about playoffs. playoffs.:
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Green Bay's going to win that game. I, Tom Brady and cold weather isn't a factor. The rest of the team in cold weather might be a factor. I just, I, I just don't see a way. They got absolutely shellacked when they went down to Tampa last time. so I think you don't get Rodgers. you don't get the best shot on Aaron Rodgers twice in one year. You rarely do. The 49ers did last year, but it rarely happens. I don't think this Buccaneers team is that talented to be able to go into Green Bay and win that game. I've been writing the Bucs off all year. I, don't, I think they're pretenders. I don't think they're a real Super Bowl threat. Ooh, that's, and, that's some harsh language. <laughs> I mean, what have they done to prove it other than win the preseason hype award? They haven't done anything. I, so I'm going <laughs> to go with Green Bay. I think Aaron Rodgers puts it on them. And honestly, I don't even think it'll be close. I think they'll, I think they'll pull away. I'm not picking
0: against Aaron Rodgers either. The 38 to 10 result earlier in the season, granted it may have only been in what, week 5 I guess when those two teams played, but that was such a I mean the Buccaneers did put it on them. Buccaneers did go out there and win that game 38 to 10. That is glaring on the Packers resume, but I also think the Packers have grown a lot as a team in a positive direction and we've seen the Bucks actually be one of the most streaky teams in the NFL this year and so you wonder if that was just a part of the Bucs and that was a part of the, the hottest stretch of games I feel like that you've seen the Bucs now the Bucs are playing some of their better football probably they're on a, another positive end of their streak right now but the Packers are as well and you look at what the Packers have done going into the playoffs they've won six straight they've done it against teams in their division they've done it against good teams out of their division I'm looking at the Titans beat them 40 to 14 Rodgers is looking good their defense finally is in motion they've got a running game under LaFleur this Packers team looks like out of any Mike McCarthy team that they had in the playoffs out of any this looks like a team that could go to a Super Bowl because of how complete they are so and also something to look into the Buccaneers have some guys with COVID right now and while they may be back for this hypothetical matchup here I don't think that they're going to be at 100% because most guys don't come back from it at 100% and it's plagued some guys throughout the whole season. Cam Newton, Miles Garrett. So I'll take the Packers in that one as well. Quick pick here, saints Seahawks. That's a lot to pack into it. Saint Seahawks, take me through it. We got a
1: minute. I'm going Saints here. Obviously, I think they're a better team, top to bottom. This, Seahawks defense makes you cringe. The, Sa- the Saints defense has, or the Saints team has been one of the deepest in the league this entire year, if not the deepest. I think. With that defense that the Seahawks tried out there, Alvin Kamara is going to have a field day. I think you'll see a a renaissance of Michael Thomas since he missed so much this year. I think he'll have a big game in that kind of matchup. And honestly, the Saints defense, the Seahawks offense has struggled a lot as of lately. And I think the Saints defense is a lot better than a lot of the defenses they have played over that stretch. Again, Rams, Giants, really good defenses. I think the Saints defense is a little bit better than that. I think they control this struggling Seahawks offense in that matchup and then on the other side you have Kamara Michael Thomas guys like that that are going to be way too much for the Seahawks defense to handle
0: one last ride for Drew Brees and that's a powerful thing I'm not going to go against you on this one once again you backed me into a corner at the at, on a, on a time where we've got to go with a break but how do you play <laughs> but I would love to have had, continued this discussion because that will be one of the most entertaining matchups but one last ride for Drew Brees is a powerful thing We'll wrap up our NFL talk and the show. On the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line.
2: On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama.
0: Wrapping up the show here on On the Line. Last segment of the week. We're riding off into the weekend. Not so fast for me, though. Going to be on the call for Auburn High School's basketball game against Locha Polka coming up at ninety six on 96.3 W. Lee. I imagine tip-off for the Varsity Boys game will be at about 6.30. Depends on when the JV Boys game ends, but that'll be something to look forward to over on one of our sister stations, 96.3 W. Lee. And then following us immediately right here on ESPN 106.7, the local sports talk doesn't end. Bill Cameron, the drive coming up right after this. For another additional two hours. You got four here on your weekend or on your on your afternoon schedule on your afternoon lineup on ESPN 1067, two to six right there of local sports talk. They'll be running from four to six. So be sure to join and call into them and, and hang out with them. We're wrapping up our NFL playoff talk here. We are doing an on-the-line edition playoff bracket where both of us don't have individual ones. I mean you do, but and I do as well. And we're making picks going through it, but the show itself will have one pick to go all the way and the other one has to convince the other one to get to their side on it if there's a disagreement you've used your veto I've used my veto and we've made it all the way now we've got one Super Bowl pick in and it's Ravens out of the AFC and we're making our way now we're on the NFC championship game and we'll wrap it up here Packers Saints it's made it all the way here it's gone chalk one two AFC didn't go chalk but it's gone chalk here now on the NFC side That's your team. The Saints making their way in. And I have a feeling this will be a little bit of a headbutting as well. Oh, I'm sure.
1: This is probably where I should save the veto for. But I think the Saints go into Lambeau and they'd win this game. If you look at the matchup they played earlier in the season, the Packers won only by one touchdown. The game itself was incredibly even throughout. You have the Saints, 397 total yards. Packers, 369 total yards. Packers, first downs, 29. The Saints, 21 first downs. The big difference in that game – one turnover for the Saints, and the penalties. You have the Green Bay Packers getting two penalties. Two for 10 yards. Not surprising (laughs) because, you know, Aaron Rodgers gets every call that's ever going to go anyway near him. There's heat there. Saints went 8-for-83 on penalties. So if you want to look at the average penalties per game, where you have Green Bay getting about 5.2 per game with the Saints getting about 6.1. So you're telling me – that all of a sudden, when they play one of the best defenses in the NFL, Green Bay all of a sudden said, you know what? We're going to get three less penalties than we normally get against a far superior team, and the Saints are going to go get two more than on their average. No. The refs are always going to back Aaron Rodgers per usual. I don't think that happens in the playoffs unless the Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl and Roger Goodell cannot help but have that Mahomes rogers matchup that he earned so much and he can't wait to just boot the saints out of here but i still think this team is too talented they're going to go into lambeau they're going to run all over them with latavius murray alvin Kamara. it's going to be easy and don't i don't want to hear drew Brees in cold weather that's a lazy take this is not a drew Brees centric offense anymore it's not a take anymore i don't want to hear it <laughs> there you go you ran through it you
0: went through the gauntlet there I'm going to make my best argument for the Packers here to get the Packers in the Super Bowl. LaFleur's got it. 13-3, they've gone the whole year. There's been no, none, no bad PR out of this Packers camp. Nothing about Aaron Rodgers clashing with his head coach. All is well in cheesehead land. All is well. There's no issues. The Packers offense is as complete as, as it's ever been. They've got a running game for the first time. LaFleur figured it out. McCarthy must have just been averse to it. There is unison there on the offensive side of the ball. That is going to benefit the Packers to be able to go through a playoff run. And at this point, in this juncture, in one game, if I had to choose one of these two quarterbacks, and granted Drew Brees has a better playoff resume than Aaron Rodgers does recently, but if you gave me one game, those two quarterbacks against each other at this juncture right now, In their careers, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers, who has all of a sudden found the fountain of youth. And then the defense, I don't think that there's leaps and bounds differences there in the defenses at the moment. The Packers still have a good defense, still enough to slow down the Saints' offense. That has been slowed down in recent weeks. You look at the Saints and what they've scored over the last couple weeks. Of course, they scored 33-52 and against the Vikings, but they've also suffered a pair of losses. Prior to that, in the last four games, they only scored 29 against the Chiefs. And then... 21 against the Falcons in a win. 21 against the Eagles in a loss. So at this point in Drew Brees' career, you see more and more inconsistencies from guys when they reach that swan song. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, is going to come down to it. Captain Clutch himself will be able to find the plays when it comes down to it at the end of the day. The Packers, to me, seem to be more of a complete team at every single position group than what the Saints appear to be. There's no, there, there is no coincidence with the Packers going 13-3 and three this year. None whatsoever.
1: I think there's a coincidence. It's called a bad division that they play in. That's they get fair. to play the Vikings, Bears, and Lions, who you saw they struggled with most of those teams. And to be fair, a lot of those games, you had Taysom Hill in at quarterback. You had Drew Brees just coming back for the they Chiefs also got game. to play
0: the AFC South.
1: Yeah, I mean. So they, it, two playoff helps.
0: teams there, but also two really bad that really, teams there. Really, really
1: bad teams there. So there's two more wins that you could add to it. It'll be hard to push me off this. I'll let you make the final the d- decision. The
0: division that I'm trying to see what division they played from the NFC this year, I'm trying to make sense of their schedule at the moment. Just looking at it, what was the was the other NFC team? I guess they would have played the the Packers would have played the South as well, right? Yeah, they yeah, played, they the, played South the South also. So two good teams there, two bad teams. I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and question the Packers at 13 and three, the number one team in the
1: in the nfc well how about this we're at a juncture here we have one game left that's fair you can we, put the ravens in your super Bowl. I'll put the packers well, in we, my super bowl we can go through and talk about the ravens versus whichever team we want to talk about whoever we think's there because it'll be good teams regardless we got two minutes left here ravens packers who would you choose in that one I'm in uh, that one. I would definitely go with the Packers if I'm right. if I'm looking at that. If the Packers made it, if the Saints make it, I think I lean to the Ravens. Unfortunately, just because I haven't seen Dennis Allen really stop a mobile quarterback. But if it's Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl, I don't think that they'll be able to stop him. It's a good defense. I the Ravens are a good defense, but. I just don't see it. They would have to do that slow down, run the ball a lot, like I said they would do earlier with Patrick Mahomes, but my Super
0: Bowl pick has the Packers to win this whole thing. And so you've just made a good argument for me there that I don't have to make we're running out of time in the show. But Aaron Rodgers is my reason why the Packers win the Super Bowl this year. I think he's I think other than Patrick Mahomes, he's the best quarterback in the playoffs
1: entirely. Both sides and the teams complete. I like the Packers the most. Sell me on your Super Bowl pick. I mean, my Super Bowl pick is still the Ravens, but I have—I think they're going to play the Saints. Dennis Who wins Al- it? What is that? Who wins it? The Ravens. I think the Ravens oh my, win. Oh I don't goodness. think, I just, Dennis Allen does not show me enough to stop a mobile quarterback like that. I'm just kidding with you. Of course, the Saints are going to win the whole thing. There's no way they don't go all the way to the Super Bowl and win. Who that? Who that say they're going to beat them Saints? It's not even going to be close. It'll be a blowout. It'll be 100 to nothing. Won't even be close. I know. So so the Saints are your, official, are your official pick here to end the show, right? Yes, the official pick to win Super Bowl are the Saints uh, and it won't even be So close. Drew
0: Brees is going to go out on top with it. That'll wrap up the first week of On the Line. Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater will be back with you on Monday. We appreciate this week. We appreciate all of the kind messages, all of the callers. Thank you for being with us this week, and we'll be back with you next week. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.